Welcome back to the Unashamed Truth Podcast, where we aim to help you understand and embrace God-centered theology. At its core, Reformation theology redirects our focus towards the essential truths that define the Christian faith, the sovereignty of God, the infallibility of Scripture, and the centrality of Christ. In today's episode, Grant begins to examine this theological tradition that emerges ultimately from Scripture, but shines brightly in the time of the 16th century Reformation. Let's listen to Grant as he opens the Word of God for us. Let's begin by reading a passage from the Word of God from Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah writes this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. We are beginning a a study tonight that we are going to do throughout this fall, and and I'm going to have other other teachers helping teach it. So it won't just be me, but I wanted to kick it off and, and probably do, do next week's or the, the one in the following week as well. But the study is, what is Reformation theology? What is Reformation theology? I had somebody ask me this morning, why do a study on Reformation theology? And, and tonight, just so you can take notes and kind of know where we're going. I'm going to give you four sets of lists, okay? So this is the first list. Why study Reformation theology? I'm going to give you four quick reasons on this. But when I think about the Reformation and what happened in the Reformation, chills go down my spine, Because the Reformation in the history of the church was one of the mightiest, most powerful movements of God that the world has ever seen. And one of the things that marked the the Reformation, and this is what my prayer, this is reason number one, that, that my hope 
is to recover is that we would be God-centered Christians. The Reformation was a rediscovery of who God is. That as we just read in Isaiah 6, that God is holy. That God is majestic. That God is a God that is both just and merciful. That God's word is to be treasured. That was the Reformation. That's reason number one. Second reason is that in the Reformation, as you see, as you see these guys like Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and Bollinger and others, as you see them define salvation over against Roman Catholic theology, you see the work of Christ in the work of grace in a splendid way. Because you're seeing these guys discover for the first time that you can be justified before God in a moment on the basis of the work of Christ. When their whole lives, they thought that they needed to work this out and try to earn God's favor through this sacramental system. This understanding that what Christ accomplished on the cross is final. And that that is given to you as a gift through faith alone, apart from works. That is so sweet. It, 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 it's wonderful. And I think there's a sense where we've lost that understanding of grace. So that's reason number two. Third reason is my hope and prayer is that God would bring reformation and revival again to this country. It's not, this is not just a historical study in the sense of let's, we're interested in the past. It's not that. I'm interested in recovering the doctrines of the past because it's the doctrines of the past that God uses in the present to bring about revival. When you begin to discover who God is, that God is holy. The immediate result of that is that you understand that you are not holy. Did you see that in, in, that, in Isaiah 6? When you see a holy God, the response isn't, oh man, I'm great. The response is, woe is me. And that was the, the response of Luther and these guys. You know, Luther didn't believe what his, uh, von Stoppitz was his um, confessor. He would go and confess his sins, and, and he would say, okay, you know, Luther would come into the confessional, and he would say, okay, go do 100 uh, Hail Marys and... and um, our fathers and you know go go help some some people down the down the road and then you're going to be absolved of your sins luther didn't buy it because he was like oh my that's not how a holy god functions and and so that's my heart is that we rediscover the holiness of god where we stand in light of god and then and only then can you understand grace? And that's what we have lost, is an understanding of grace. And, and I know you're saying, shut up. People understand grace. You don't understand grace until you understand God. 
when you understand the holiness of God and your unworthiness of salvation, then you can begin to understand grace. That is pressing into grace. But it all starts with that vision of knowing who God is. Listen to what Lloyd-Jones says. Uh, This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think he wrote this 1958. He said, quote, Today our essential trouble is that we are content with a very superficial and preliminary knowledge of God, his being, and his cause. And content with that, we spend our lives in busy activism instead of pausing to realize the possibilities. Instead of realizing our own failure and realizing that we are not attracting anybody to Christ and that they probably see nothing in us that makes them desire to come to him, the inevitable and constant preliminary to revival has always been a thirst for God, a thirst a living thirst for a knowledge of the living God and a longing and a burning desire to see him acting, manifesting himself in his power, rising and scattering his enemies. So that's the third reason is is my hope is that God would bring reformation and revival. And the fourth reason is, is you need to know your spiritual legacy, that we are in this legacy of the reformation. It, you know, you're not a Roman Catholic, I hope not. And we are Protestant Christians. That's, that's who you are. And you stand on the shoulders, the spiritual shoulders of these reformers who went before you. I had a church history professor one time that says, there's somebody between you and Jesus besides your grandma, and you need to know who they are. So that's the fourth reason. All right. So that's the reasons why to do this. Second list that I'm going to give you. Let me give you just the high points of Reformation theology. All right, second list. What are, the, what are we going to study? What are the high points of Reformation theology? When we talk about Reformation, I'm talking about the movement in the 16th century, the 1500s, to reform the Catholic Church that has its seat in Rome. That's what I mean when, I talk, when I'm talking about the Reformation. And there were certain marks of this theology, and we're going to study it, and we're going to get into the Bible, because I'm not, just, I'm not really, I'm interested in the history, but I'm interested in the history because it leads to the truth. So we're going to get into the Bible, but let me give you just, just some of the, the mountain peaks that came out of the Reformation. As I just said, and I'm going to reiterate first, it is God-centered. It is the realization that you can know God. And I know we live in a world where J.I. Packer wrote the book Knowing God. And we live in that world where it sounds passe for somebody to tell you that you can know God. But in the 1500s, people didn't think that they could know God. God was behind a veil of relics. And when you would go to church, the entire service would be in Latin, which you probably wouldn't know. And nor would the priests know. And you would just be told that you need to, to be a good person and, and maybe uh, 
go pay homage to a relic or pray to a saint. Point being, God was so far away from you that you were going through all these intermediaries. You were going through priests. You were going through relics. You were praying to saints, not to Christ. God was somebody that was unknown to you. But yet that is the essence of Christianity, is to know God. And that's what was so surprising to people in the Reformation, is that, oh my goodness, I can know Christ experientially in my heart. I can see him in his word, and I can know God, and I don't have to go through a priest to do it. That's what was so mind-blowing about the Reformation for so many people, and people would just rejoice in the streets when they heard that they could have a relationship with God. And that's something I think that so often we take for granted now. But I also think it's, it's a similar problem today in the modern church, where you have so many churches where the, the service is filled with smoke machines and dark lights and emotive music, and the Word of God has been hidden. And yeah, there might be a verse on the screen and and the message or something, which is a paraphrase, but the Word of God, and therefore God himself, has been hidden. And and you're hearing about God through through a talking head up on the, the platform. And so there is a dire need for people to once again to know the risen Christ. And the only way to do that is through the Word of God. Because we don't believe in mystic visions and, and that sort of thing. The only way to know Christ is through the Word. And so unless a church reads from the Word, doesn't that sound novel, and teach the Word, you will not know God. It, I, it's that simple. This is what Paul says. This is God's desire for you. This is Ephesians 3.18. This is my prayer. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. This is, this is what marks the Christian. What is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So Christianity... As Jesus said, John 17, 3, is knowing him. It is God-centered. It is, it is then you see, okay, I, I know God. Now I understand soli deo gloria, that it's all for his glory. Now I understand quorum deo, that I live before his face in everything I do, whether it's in the church or whether it's in my business, all of it is for his honor. I am coming to that God-centered life. The pillars of Reformation theology invite us to a deeper faith, one that roots us in the eternal truth of Scripture rather than passing trends. 
Reformation theology serves as both an anchor and a compass, guiding us back to the core of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It challenges us to critically examine our beliefs, encourages us to stand firm in our convictions, and most importantly, calls us to a life of humble submission to God's will as revealed in His Word. Thank you for joining us today for the Unashamed Truth podcast with Grant Castleberry. Grant is the senior pastor of Capital Community Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Find out more about Unashamed Truth by visiting our website, unashamedtruth.org. Also consider becoming a ministry partner by giving a consistent monthly gift, which ensures that we can continue this outreach in the months ahead. Don't forget to subscribe to the Unashamed Truth podcast so that you will never miss an episode. Until next time, it is our prayer that you continue in your journey to understand and embrace God-centered theology.